So welcome back. Welcome everybody here with us in person. Welcome everybody that's going to be listening to this podcast at some point. Hopefully we're going to continue our study of the firmament. And we talked last week about the history of interpretation. So real quickly going over that, the ancient Greeks believed in the ether, which was personified as a god named ether. And eventually they thought that this ether was above the sky and in outer space. And some creation scientists like Jody Dillo believes that this idea of the ether or a water heaven is a memory of a pre-flood canopy because there are a lot of myths and legends that essentially are teaching that there was something above the earth and it's not there now. And that there was a huge change. There was a huge, um, there was a huge shifting into a new phase of existence for the earth because of this water heaven being banished. This is all couched in mythical terms, the way they describe it. They believe that there was an old sun, and when the water heaven collapsed, there was a new sun that took its place. And some creationists believe that that's because the sun would have looked different before the flood as it would after the flood. So it literally changed in visibility in some way because there was a canopy surrounding our earth. So that's what some of the myths are teaching. Uh, the Hellenistic idea, the Greek idea that Aristotle and others believed was that there were these hard celestial spheres surrounding the earth. The earth is rooted in place. It doesn't move, but these spheres that have all the planets inside them, they're shifting around the earth. And so that's the celestial sphere view. And then you have the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible. And that's before Christ, B.C. era. And they translate the word firmament in Genesis 1 as uh, stereoma, which means a solid thing. So they believe that there was something solid around the earth. Um, I, I do wonder, were they in every case just regurgitating, reproducing like this? Sorry. What's that? Stereoma. It's a solid. <laughs> sorry. So anyways. Sorry. Are you going to uh, edit that out? <laughs> probably not. So the the idea... <laughs> Rockin'. We gotta have we gotta have, we gotta have somebody, you know, to lighten the mood in here and, and wow. Scott's doing that for us. I did think the same thing though. Did Stereoma oh, rock God. solid. Yeah. Okay. So anyways, the idea is that they borrowed this idea from the Greeks. And I think that is possible, but again, I, I suspect there's more to it than that. I wonder if some of these ancient rabbis are hinting at an idea that there was a canopy around the world before the flood and it collapsed. So in some cases, maybe they are just reproducing the Hellenistic idea. Maybe the whole idea itself is based on something true that the Bible describes. But of course, we know that the way they understood it isn't exactly right, because right. we know that there's this vast expanse of space. There are not concentral or concentric uh, spheres that the planets are rooted in. We know that that's not the case. So they were wrong about that. They were wrong about geocentrism, but the idea that there is something in the heavens that is of a solid nature, mm -hmm. there could be a biblical basis for that to an extent. So that we'll, the earth is potentially the center. I do believe that the earth is potentially the center of the universe. Yes, I do believe that. <clears throat> I obviously believe that the earth is moving. So I don't believe in the geocentric idea that we're stuck in one spot and everything's moving around us. I think that the earth is constantly moving, but I do believe that we occupy um, a revolution. We, we occupy a circuit towards the center of the universe. And that's something creationists have pointed out, that we're able to see things in such a way, like the expansion of the universe away from us. Mm -hmm. it, it seems to imply that we're towards the center of that activity. But uh, the rabbinic idea is seen in Josephus. He talks about some ice canopy, and we'll talk about that more in a minute. Um, and the word firmament... It all started with that Greek word stereoma. It turned into firmamentum, I believe is the Latin term. So whenever the Hebrew was translated into Latin by Jerome, he used the word firmament. That came into English through Wycliffe and then Tyndall and then the KJV. And not all church fathers believed that this was a solid. Some people believe that the firmament was made out of liquid. Mm. And so that's very interesting because that's not too far off from what some young earth creationists are saying today. So anyways, that's the history of interpretation. So now we're going to look at verses. So if you got your Bibles, I'm going to do something because we all have mics on us right now. Instead of me reading all of these verses myself, I'm going to pick one 
And then y'all are going to pick one and we're just going to take turns reading. So I'll get Exodus 24:20. Somebody get Ezekiel 1:22. Matt's got his Bible. So I nominate Matt for Ezekiel 122. Scott's got the NEV right there. Old reliable. <laughs> so, yeah, not so old, but not reliable. so old, but reliable. Go to uh Revelation 4 6. Jill. Yes. yes. So we have lots Katie's of got you covered. You do Revelation 15 2. And Katie or Christy get um Revelation 22 1. I'll do that. And that will do that one last because that one is a little different. Jill's <clears throat> a heathen. She didn't bring her Bible. You want the heathen version over here? Um, I would prefer since we're trying to get to the literal meaning you of want these the terms. KJV? Something literal. It doesn't have to be the KJV, but something literal. <clears throat> so um, Exodus twenty four twenty. I think I may have got that reference wrong because I'm in Exodus twenty four and there's not an Exodus twenty four twenty. Don't you love when that happens? Here, I'll find it. Y'all just give me a second. Yeah, you can. I know I do. It's when they Regular. go up on the mountain. The elders do. Oh, is that the the pavement? The, yes, the... yes. Can you look it up on your phone real quick? Because Pavement? Yeah, Sapphire, Sapphire Pavement, Exodus, KJV. and you'll be Oops. able to find it for me. KJV. I don't know what, what I did. I got that reference wrong. Sapphire. Maybe. Okay, sorry. It's not. 20 it's it's 2410 it's 2410 thank you thank you so i was in the right chapter that's something so exodus 2410 it says that they talking about moses aaron and the 70 elders of israel they saw god the god of israel i believe that's the son because he's the one who is the image of the father the invisible god they saw the god of israel and there was under his feet as it were a paved work of sapphire stone as it were the body of heaven in his clearness. So it was clear, like a clear sky. That's the reason why it's described like the heaven. That's the word sky in Hebrew. Um, but it's described as a paved work of sapphire stone. Now, it could be that this is just describing a glowing expanse that's not solid underneath the feet of God, and it's being described in solid terms. That's possible, but for right now, I just want to highlight the fact that underneath God's feet, there's something that's described as a paved work of sapphire stone, okay? So now, Matt, will you read Ezekiel 122? Ezekiel 122 says, The likeness of the firmament above the heads of the living creatures was like the color of an awesome crystal stretched out over their heads. Mm. So, Ezekiel is seeing the chariot throne of the sun who is called the glory of the Lord. And he's described in that chapter as having the likeness of a man, the likeness of the appearance of a man. <clears throat> and above their heads, as they move, God's throne moves with them. So they're in a sense, pulling the chariot and above their heads is this expanse this firmament, which is described as an awesome crystal. Awesome means gleaming. So it's very bright. And it's described as crystalline. It could be crystal because it is transparent. However, the Hebrew term here is only ever used in the Hebrew Bible to refer to frost or hail or ice. So it's referring to the solid form of water. That's where the term is being used in the book of Job. Uh, but it's only used a few times in the Hebrew Bible. I have a comment. What's your comment? Um, you know how God's throne is always described in rainbows what happens when you put light through a crystal you get rainbows huh that is very interesting i didn't think about that through a prism prism yeah yeah interesting now who had the next one that's a good insight christy so was it revelation 4 6 yep before the throne was the sea like was a sea of glass like crystal in the midst of the throne and around the throne there were four creatures Covered with eyes in front and in back. Good. Interesting. Some of my favorite passages in Scripture are Revelation 4 and 5. But it describes it as a sea of glass, so it's a vast expanse. Mm -hmm. It's apparently under God but before his throne and potentially above the heads 
of the four living creatures. The four living creatures are very similar to the cherubim, which we've already read about right. in Ezekiel 1. And it's over their heads. And it appears that when the elders went up on the mountain, they're sitting around the mountain underneath God where they, they dined. They had a meal there. They had a fellowship meal, which would have been so cool just to think about that. Mm. But uh, so this idea of it stretching over the elders and stretching over the cherubim and stretching over the four living creatures. And it's consistently described as glassy, transparent, gleaming in beauty. So again, these all could be figurative expressions to describe something bright and luminous doesn't have to be solid, but there is this consistent imagery that permits the idea that maybe there is something solid to it. And again, whenever we get to the different creationist opinions about the Rakia, the firmament, I'm going to share with you what some people have said about ice, which is very intriguing because there are a number of creation scientists who pointed out that if there was a sphere of water surrounding the observable universe, then it would be perhaps in the form of ice particles. And that would go along with some of what we're reading here. Um, also, when you see a sun dog around the sun, which is the rainbow on both sides, it's in the mm. ice crystal clouds. Mm. Mm. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's interesting. We got some good insights. Now, um, Revelation 15.2, who had that one? That's me. And I saw, as it were, a sea of glass mingled with fire, and them that had gotten the victory over the beast and over his image and over his mark and over the number of his name stand on the sea of glass, having the harps of God. Awesome. Now that's a really cool picture there. And some Greek scholars, not all, but some Greek scholars believe that the way it's introduced in the text, it does not appear to be referring back to the, the uh, crystal sea that we've already looked at. So the way it's introduced, it seems like John is saying, this is another sea that I'm seeing, not identical to the one I saw before. The one before was crystal transparent. This one's fiery. So I wonder if that's because beneath this crystal sea. So if we imagine this crystal sea that the inhabitants of heaven are standing on, okay, of gold. this would be basically the floor of heaven and underneath is the cosmos, which is full of rebels. It's full of not only us as human beings who rebel against God, but also the angels who inhabit the heavens, many fallen angels as rebels. But there's no rebellion permitted in heaven. And so they're walking on this sea. They are above the chaos. Often this is imagery used of God in the Old Testament that he walks on the waters. The chaos, the rebellion is under his feet. And he, like he did with Peter, he brings us up to walk on the water. So he takes us out of the chaos and he puts us where he is. So it could be that these are people who they've been taken out of that persecution. They've been taken out of that struggle and they are placed on the floor of heaven and they walk on that sea and the fire underneath it represents basically the spiritual battle and conflict that is still going on and will intensify in the tribulation. So, you know, these symbols I'm sure have a lot of nuances and, and meanings to them, but we That's don't want a lot of interest to Peter walking on the water. It is. Pulling him up. Absolutely. And that's something else. A lot of people don't notice that Yahweh, Jehovah in the Old Testament, is often perceived as walking on the waters and his voice calling out above, above the, waters. the waters. And so I read an article about this recently, and it was a, a Hebrew scholar who was saying, this is clear evidence that Jesus is being portrayed in the Gospels. Not just John, who everybody seems to agree that John's teaching that Jesus is God. But what about Matthew, Mark, and Luke? Right, yeah. In all the Gospels, when he's seen walking on the waters, he's being portrayed in divine imagery. He's walking on the water because he's Yahweh, God of Israel. Right. So it's really cool stuff there. Uh, now, who has Revelation 22.1? Me. Thank you. Read that for us. And, okay, hold on. I switched to a different version here. Um, then he showed me a pure river of the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb in the middle of its street. Good. So the reason I mentioned that when I threw that up there is because obviously this is a flowing river. It's not a solid, okay? But yet it's described as crystalline. So I do leave open the possibility that some of these references to crystal, we don't need to press the imagery too far and say that it could be something solid. It's permitted by it. There are places where the word crystal is used and it's involving something solid. When it talks about the walls of the New Jerusalem or the buildings of the New Jerusalem, it uses the term crystal. Here it's used for liquid. So liquid, solid, it doesn't really define. Um, 
exactly. You have to know the context to see it, but the term crystal could just mean transparent. So I throw that out there because I don't want to be saying to any of y'all or anybody listening that, okay, just because it says crystal and sapphire, it must be referring to something solid. It could. And I suggest that because in a moment, we're going to talk about some of these young earth creationist theories that involve the idea of something solid that surrounded the earth before the flood. It has a streak. It says, and of the lamb in the middle of its streak. Mm. That's the MEV. What's the KJV say? It says the midst of the street of it. It could be that there is a street that borders the river. I've heard some people say that uh, bordering the river, there are trees of life on either side. Some people believe that the trees just like it's in the midst of the river, like it's actually in the river, Um, which I suppose is possible. But yes, and I've heard I've heard some people say that it could be one tree that grows out and extends its branches beyond. So we don't really know. But I just threw that out there because it uses the same term in the Greek and it could just mean transparent. So now that we've said that, I'm going to start throwing out some ideas that I can't confirm uh, and I can't deny either because this is like above my pay grade when it comes to science. But Carl Baugh, he wrote his dissertation on this. He is not respected by a lot of other creationists, which I find inconsistent because they will praise people who praised him. Yeah. And so by extension, you would think, oh, well, we really respect this guy and we admire his credibility, but he's over here talking about how wonderful ball is writing books with him, you know, doing radio broadcasts with him. So I think sometimes creationists can be a little inconsistent. Yeah. Yeah, I think he's got a bad rap. I think that he um, has said some things in the past that were a little sensational and they didn't really have a lot of basis to him. Like, you know, finding Noah's Ark on Mount Ararat. I think that was kind of blown out of proportion and that kind of cast some doubt on him as a whole. But I think that you shouldn't throw the, the baby out with the bathwater or the ball out is, with the bathwater. The, <laughs> the natural formations that look like the ark or whatever. No, 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 no. That's a different guy. Um, so he thinks he's part of this group of people that believes that the ark was sighted on Mount Ararat. And there's some stories about people In who ice? went. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And so he kind of got behind that. And there were some, some samples that were brought back that he claimed was a certain type of wood, gopher wood. An and yeah. And so, I'm not convinced when it comes to that particular focus of his ministry, but he does have a lot of other good things to say about dinosaur tracks with human prints, you know, mingling with each other in Paluxy. And I think that he's got some solid stuff there that is worth reading, but he does talk about this canopy a lot. And the reason his canopy theory is unique and interesting is because the classic young earth creationist view is that there's a vapor canopy surrounding the pre-flood world. And, and that was really the way it was presented by Henry Morris and John Wickham in the 60s when they published the Genesis Flood. And that book is what started the modern creationist movement. There were people before who were young earth creationists, but it was what really began the movement. So these huge organizations like ICR, Creation Ministries International, AIG, it all started there. So we can't thank these guys enough. Um, they've both gone on to be with the Lord. But Carl Baugh basically says... I agree that there was a canopy. It would have increased atmospheric pressure. It would have increased oxygen. It would have increased carbon dioxide. It would have filtered out UV radiation. It It would have made it warmer. Yeah. In the fossil record, there's something called pre-Miocene warmness where everything was bigger and everything was warmer worldwide. So this would explain all of that. And that's why it was so attractive because it does say in Genesis, the waters were separated and there was the waters above and the waters below. And if you read that, it's like, okay, it seems to be saying that the waters below are the sea and the waters above are something surrounding the earth. Now, there was no rain. We'll get to that in a little bit too. But if there was no rain before the flood, was like Genesis clouds? 2 suggests, then there was they, a mist coming up water. they wouldn't be ordinary rain clouds like we have today because there was no rain before the flood. So right. something is surrounding the earth that's preventing the ordinary hydrologic cycle from taking place. And when the windows of heaven opened up, when the flood began, everything changes. That's why the rainbow appears for the first time in Genesis. It says God put it in the sky. It doesn't say he gave it new meaning. He's putting it there 
it seems like it wasn't there before. <laughs> so what that would indicate is for 1,600 years from creation to the flood, there are no rainbows. The sun wasn't shining through water. It, it, or at least if he says, I set my boat in the clouds. So that doesn't mean that there couldn't have been a rainbow because you can have rainbows, you know, yeah. down lower, you know, if you take a sprinkler and so no clouds. So there would be no clouds in the sky in which to set his bow in. So that's been pointed out by a lot of people that when you take all of that data together, it seems like there was no, um, there was no rain like we have it today before the flood. There was some other cycle at work, but we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, but he believes that hydrogen and water, and we talked about this, I think, last week. I don't believe we were recording when we talked about it, but hydrogen and water in, in laboratory experiments, if it's compressed under extreme super cold pressure, it forms metallic qualities. So it, it becomes almost a metal. Um, and so he argues that when the Bible uses the term rakia, and sometimes it's used in the context of beating out metal, it could be that this rakia was an ice canopy that had metallic qualities because mm -hmm. the hydrogen in the water was compressed. And so that is a really out there idea. It's possible. Um, do we know that it was like that? We don't. Of course, this is just a theory. But the idea that there was an ice canopy, Josephus mentions an ice canopy. Um, so you wonder, is he borrowing from the like the celestial sphere idea of the Greeks? Mm. Or is he hearkening back to something that you know the Jews knew about that they passed on from uh, down on according to tradition and maybe... Over time, they modified it to compromise with the Greeks. You know, you wonder how all that worked out. Like myths and legends and traditions are really hard to trace back to the original, right? So we have the Bible and we have this idea in Ezekiel 1. There's a firmament over the heads of the cherubim and it's icy. It, the word used is of, of hail, frost, ice. Yeah. So it does lend some credence. And of course, he does refer to Ezekiel 122. That's one of his go-to verses to uh, prove that this is something the Bible teaches. but um, moving on, Paul talks about the third heaven. And so since the word heavens in Hebrew Shamayim is plural, it may have had three boundaries. And so the waters above the earth would be one boundary. So you have the first heaven and it's bounded by water. Then you have the second heaven outer space. It's bounded by water in some form. And then you have heaven and above the heads of everybody in heaven, there's another canopy mm -hmm. that encircles heaven and the rest of the universe. So it's like the last circle, last sphere, you could say. And so that would be credence to the, give credence to the idea that uh, firmament is something firm. There, there is something firm there. It's not just empty space, but there is something, there's some kind of boundary that we, like when we think of space, technically space is something that can be stretched, right? We've already established that. We've right. talked about that. But when we think of space, do y'all think of it as something you can touch, something no, substantial? It's lack of matter. It's not firm, but, you right? Know, you know what I mean? But, you know, we always thought it was like a vacuum, right? But they had that yes. article that came out listening to the black hole, and they said it's not actually a vacuum because sound can travel through it. Yeah, so, again, a, a space is something. But I'm just saying based on the word firmament, carrying the connotation of something firm, Okay, we wouldn't call an empty expanse of space firm necessarily unless we were using it figuratively. Like God does establish the heavens. Right. And, and the terms used are of construction. Setting so, boundaries. Yes. So, exactly. So when we use the word firmament, it's possible, and I mentioned this on the slides there, firmament could just mean heavens are permanent. God stretched out space. He set it to where it's going to exist until it accomplishes his purpose. And it's firm in that sense. So firm is permitted, if that's what you mean. And some people argue that. They'll say firmament just means God stretched out space and he set it to where he wants it to go. And that's why it's firm. It'd be like Except talking about the... stretching it. It's, yeah, he is stretching it. But it's firm in the sense that it's established. That's what I'm trying to say. Like the foundations of the earth. Is the earth still moving? Of course it is. But has God founded the earth in the sense of yes. putting it in position, making it continue to exist the way he wants it, sustaining it. So some would argue firmament is permissible if you understand it in those terms. But mm -hmm. I think firmament may be permissible in another sense that if there is something like waters that demarcate these boundaries between the three heavens, that that would be something firm that God set in place. So when God put the waters above, he's setting some firm boundary in place or else the waters would come down. Mm -hmm. And the waters did come down. But there are other boundaries, apparently, 
because there are other heavens. So there's the first, the second, and the third. So that's the, the working idea. Um, let's move on now, and I'm going to show you some pictures, and we're going to put these slides up, and y'all will be able to see these. Uh, you can see up there on the left, that's the way the, uh, the Aristotelian view would look like. Aristotelian, that Aristotelian that's uh, Aristotle's view, Ptolemy's oh, view. Gotcha. So Hellenistic view, I'm using some fancy words now, but um, the earth is in the center, it's fixed, it doesn't move, and you have these spheres that are revolving and rotating around it. And this is straight out of, um, what was it? What's his name? Uh, man, I should have had it up on my phone before. Yeah, yeah, let me tell you. Or the cyclorama. Yeah. 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 No, what you have up, up there is from one of the commentaries. Which one? Talking about um, Clarence, are you talking about the, the, the Clarence? No. Clarence? No, no, <laughs> no, I don't think Clarence Larkin believed that. <laughs> no, no, no. It's, um, what is it, buddy? Where'd you get that from? That Did one on the break? left or the one on the right? One on the right. No, the one on the right, which Scott's referring to, is the dome view. It's not, it's not what the scriptures I teach. Know. Um, it's not even what the Mesopotamians believe, but the flat earth with the, the dome over the top of it. Um, there are lots of commentaries, but Logos, Logos Bible software, I found, I got Logos a Bible software, Cambridge Bible okay. was the common commentary. I found exactly that. Yes. Right? A, a Cambridge. Uh, yeah. and of course the, a lot of those older commentators guys from the 1800s, they were what you would call. That's right, Jamie. Yeah. Ja right. Jamie is commenting himself, but they were believers that. Yes, Orthodox Christianity is true, but when it came to the Old Testament, it was like the first thing to go. I mean, the historicity of it all. They yeah. were trying to fit uh, it all into modern science. Yes, they were, and they rejected a ton. They said, okay, Moses didn't author this. And there were Christians who genuinely believed in Jesus that were teaching this. It's like, okay, wait a second. So you're saying you're going to heaven when you die because you believe in the promise of Jesus. This is all but lie. the same Jesus said Moses wrote these books and you're right. saying he didn't. Okay. Right. Explain how that works in your mind. And I don't know how that worked for them, but CS Lewis, for example, he was a person who believed in these views. Like he believed in the documentary hypothesis that the first five books uh, books were not written by Moses. They were written by different groups oh, of Jews yeah. over different periods. Like you had the Yahwists and the Elohists and the priests, and, and they're writing these portions, and some of them are contradicting each other because they're written at different times. And so Genesis and all those books are a hodgepodge of different sources. Um, thus the word documentary. So taking all these documents and putting them together. But yet, C.S. Lewis, like he was a wonderful apologist, and, and we still admire his writing today. But The way that those books flow, how could they be just a bunch of documents put together? I think that, again, we have to understand why people were doing this, it was a reflection of theological liberalism, rationalism. It was people who were not approaching the Bible as a sacred book written by God. And whenever you start to approach the Bible that way, you start to entertain different ideas, um, ideas that will help you justify your rationalism. And I think that that's what atheists do today. I think that they try to take the data and make it fit their view. I think that the same thing can be said of, you know, anybody that doesn't accept the authority of Scripture. So I don't think that they were coming away from the text and honestly saying, yeah, yeah, this makes sense. I think they were really trying to fit things into their conception yes. of things. But anyways, that's what the Greeks believed on the left and on the right. That's what apparently the ancient Hebrews believed, but they actually didn't. Um, now, this is getting into some stuff that is possibly reasonable. The other stuff that I just showed you, not reasonable. This stuff, very much so. Um, Jamie, Jamie, Jamie agrees with me. He says that it's reasonable. So top left, you have the vapor canopy, and you can see it's going to filter out the harmful rays from outer space. There are certain uh, types of radiation you got long wave, short wave, and I think it's the short wave that's dangerous for so us. So would that have made people live to 900 years? Yes, and so that's that's definitely something that uh, goes along with this, um, a corollary, if you will. And so the bottom one is another example of a firmament, but this is Baugh's view. So he thinks that it would have given a magenta hue, a pink hue, uh, 
based on his understanding of how it was composed, I strongly doubt that now that I think about it. I mean, I, I just don't see anything in the Bible that would suggest that it was a pink light. Yeah. When we read in Exodus, the, the pavement under the sapphire, it was, saf- it, well, it was no sapphires blue. I thought topaz um, was blue and sapphire was purple. Well, it's 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 sapphire and in Hebrew I think it's lapis lazuli, and it's um, ruby's red. Ruby's ruby's red. Yeah. No, but sa- sapphire sapphire is a very rich is, blue. Is purple. Yeah. So it's um, it's can be blue. That pavement is described. <laughs> We're all over the place now, but I think that that sapphire pavement it's compared to the heavens. So um. If there was a canopy, I think that it would only intensify the, the, the beautiful blue that we already see. That's what I think. Uh, but we'll find out one day, right? But anyways, Bob, his um, picture up here does illustrate something else, though. Look up underneath the crust, and you see all that water right there. He believes, and many creationists, not just him, fountains of the deep. believe, yes, believe that the fountains of the deep were not geysers of water that were just heated up from the ocean from magma. Like that's what answers in Genesis and others believe huh. who hold to the catastrophic plate tectonics view. They think that lots of magma coming up from under the crust heated the water and it shot up in, in streams. And they think that's the fountains of the deep. No. The hydroplate theory says, yeah. no, there's water actually under the crust and it actually shoots up from underneath. And this does fit with Genesis because it talks about how there were waters that uh, went up in the form of mist and watered the surface of the ground. So there was something. Had to come have a source. Yes, it was coming up from underneath. It was not coming from above. Think about when they when 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 they get the oil wells that they lose control of, and that oil shooting up a hundred, two hundred, three hundred feet in the air. That's right. Yeah. Right? I mean, all that pressure. pressure. Have you ever had a well? Watched a well be do- drilled? Well, when they, yeah, when they, they hit, hit water, it blows way up in the yeah, air. Yeah, right. absolutely. Yeah. And so I think that there literally was oh, absolutely. subterranean waters in the fountains of the deep are literally these uh, these great waters that shot up. And I think they fractured the earth. I do believe that the idea that the continents go back together, I think that's supported scripturally in Genesis 1, that all the waters were in one place and so all the land was too. Let's and think, um, throughout Central America, people go cave diving right under the water in these caves and they, they it's been said so no they, days. right but it's been said that they you can travel the snow days are all connected right that they're all connected you could basically travel across the the, the, the that's like going across, land. you can go under yeah florida. yeah Underwater. exactly you can go under florida like that yeah yeah crazy yeah, and I so, believe that they covered the whole planet. Yes. And I think that the if you wonder, like, where are the waters now? Well, I think that they're on the earth. I think yeah. I think Above. that what happened is when they got poured out on the earth, it's possible that some of it may have seeped back underneath. I mean, that's certainly reasonable. But uh, we know that the valley sunk, and we know that the mountains rose yes. during the flood. So I think the water's still here. So people say, where'd the water go? It's Gathered on the it. earth. I mean, yeah. that what changed was the land. So the land was covered when it, the waters receded. They didn't just like seep back into the center of the earth. The water receding was because the land was rising. Yeah. yeah. Um, so anyways, that's, I do agree with AIG on that because they got that right. I think they do a good job of describing that mechanic. So the fact that during the, the millennial kingdom, if you die at 100, you're dying as a young person. Yeah, yeah. Does that mean that the canopy may be back in position? That is a view mm. of just about everybody that believes in a canopy. Most of the people who believe in the canopy are preacher, premillennialists too. I mean, huh. they come from that tradition, and they all believe that it's going to be restored. Just about um, Donald DeYoung, Henry Morris, Carl Baugh, all the guys who advocate for this say that it's going to be restored in the millennium. And I think there's a good chance that it will, because it will explain why people are living so long. But yet they still need medicinal treatment because they're going to go to Jerusalem. There will be fruits there. They're still in earthly bodies. They're still in earthly bodies, but they're going to live really long. And the only way you could explain that is if God renovates the earth somewhat. But it's not going to be completely renovated because there'll still be death. So it's like pre-flood ideal conditions of the earth. God's going to also have to renovate their DNA. Well, well, see, that's something that Carl Baugh, he talks about in his book. He says that, this canopy may have actually had restorative properties. He says it may have made people heal faster mm. and, and that healing could have gone down to the genetic level. Now, as far as that's concerned, I'm not a geneticist, right? I'm starting to get dry mouth here. I'm not a geneticist, so I can't really vouch for that, but 
it wouldn't surprise me if this canopy was like, you know, in a way, like a, like a mother hen sheltering her chicks and, and, and providing care and God, and God cares for us through this covering, which to me, I think that that's a, an awesome way of looking at it. So Um, this is totally kind of a rabbit trail, but not really. Thank you. So speaking of mother hens and chicks. So I had a chick that was stuck in the mud. And I didn't find it for like a day, and it, I thought it was gonna die. And I put it in the brooder with heat, and after like forty-eight hours, it bounced back and was like up and walking around and is eating, and alive. And it should have died, but the heat brought it back. Yeah, and and, and it would have heated things up. A canopy certainly would have done that, and there wouldn't have been polar ice caps. So this would have stabilized the climate to where if you were to go to the North Pole. You're going to find tropical vegetation. And in fact, Which they the found they have found that. I mean, they found that they're like they found uh, hadrosaurs. It's a type of dinosaur, also known as a duckbill dinosaur. They found thousands of hadrosaur bones buried in Alaska and, and, and frozen and, and preserved so well there. Not millions of years old, but uh, preserved very, very well. And uh, they found lots of tropical vegetation as well in Antarctica. So there are places where there shouldn't be this kind of vegetation. I mean, if you didn't have a canopy, then they're further away from the sun. They're always going to be cold. Mm -hmm. So why would there be tropical vegetation? But if there was a canopy, then these places aren't going to be frozen wastelands. The real greenhouse effect. Exactly. The one that makes the whole earth like the same temperature. Yes, exactly. That it would have been, it would have basically caused the, the heat to be displaced over the whole surface of the earth, wherever you're at. And uh, that means, again, wherever you go, you're going to have a nice, you know, vacation type climate, oh, I suppose. Semi-tropical. The eating you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in Eden, no dinosaurs eating people there, thankfully. <laughs> but uh, so let's talk about what some of these guys think. Uh, Gary L. Johnson. Um, and I don't know if these people still hold these views. These are some dated articles. And when I try to look them up, some of these people, I think have passed away. So these are from, in some cases like late eighties, early nineties. Um, but the canopy theory has not died. It's very unpopular nowadays because you have certain ministries like (laughs) answers in Genesis that, uh, I love answers in Genesis. Okay. So if somebody who works at answers in Genesis listens to this, okay, please don't hate us. Okay. I love your ministry, but I am saying, going to say this, uh, the canopy theory was dismissed because a guy named Larry Vardaman, uh, a creation scientist, very well respected, used computer models to see whether or not this would be scientifically viable. And he basically found out that if there was too much canopy, enough to really matter, then it would have cooked the earth. It would have been too hot. However, about 10 years or so later, he did another study in the early 2000s, which basically says, well, if you tweak this and you tweak that, the canopy theory not only is viable, but it may have been necessary to explain certain pre-flood features. Mm-hmm. And it's like whenever you read on these websites and say, oh, yeah, Larry Vardaman, he's debunked the canopy theory. It's like, well, did you read his other article? His later one. You're quoting this article, but you're not reading the update article. Would all so, that water underneath the, the crust have also contributed to cooling? I, I suppose, yeah, that is possible. I didn't think about that, but that could have balanced it out, I suppose, yeah. Uh, but Gary L. Johnson, he's one of these guys that believes in a canopy, but he's got a weird view that's kind of interesting. He thinks that the canopy wasn't, like, continuous. It, there was liquid, liquid particles, and there was also ice. And the ice was over the polar ice caps, and the liquid would have been everywhere else, basically. And so it wouldn't have been one particular form of water and he thinks that the liquid would have fallen during the flood and then the ice would have fallen later. Now, he does not make the connection that I'm about to, but in Genesis 10, 25, it says in the days of Peleg, the earth was divided. And if right. you look at those lifespans, they drop dramatically after the flood, but they're still like yeah. 400, 500 years old. I have to go back and check the exact. But when you get to the days of Peleg, they drop again. Mm-hmm. So there's two huge drops in lifespan. And you wonder, well, what happened then? The days of Peleg, that's when the earth was divided. So something happened big during that time. And we won't get into that right now, but his theory would allow for the idea that perhaps the ice collapsed later, contributing to the ice age. It would have had a global cooling effect. Um, Stanley V. Udd argues that the waters must refer to liquids. So he's dogmatic that uh, the word in Hebrew must mean liquid. So if there's a canopy, it's a liquid one. 
However, if you look at Genesis 2.6, it describes a vapor going up and watering the earth. And the verb for water in Hebrew means to pour out water. So that means that mist is used in, this, in the context of a word which means to water. So I think that he's kind of making a lot out of the term meaning liquid. I think that mist can be understood as waters above too. So that doesn't rule out that there was vapor surrounding so the earth. Like a gas, not as liquid. But again, the, when it talks about vapor in Genesis 2, it uses a term which is always associated with water. So again, to say that, well, mist isn't really understood in the Hebrew as water, I think that's false. So I think he's making a little bit too much out of that, perhaps. But, you know, I'm okay with the idea of it being vapor, but, um, or sorry, liquid. But I think it could be vapor as well, is what I'm trying to say. Um, R. Russell Bixler argues that Mabul, and, and I'm going to pull out my Hebrew Bible right now. Because the Hebrew dictionary in my Bible is interesting because in Genesis, in Genesis 7, uh, let's see, where's the verse here? Um, in verse number 7, verse number 7, it uses the word mabul, hamabul. And in the dictionary here, it says mabul means the deluge. Flood in the time of Noah. So it's a very specific term. It's not used in the Bible in any generic sense. So it's used like 13 times in the Hebrew Bible. But interestingly enough, in Psalm 29, 10, it talks about God being enthroned over the flood. Mm -hmm. And the word used is mabul. And here, when defining mabul, it gives something different. It actually says celestial sea. Mm -hmm. Celestial sea. And so that's what R. Russell Bixler is arguing is that Mabul actually refers to a heavenly sea that the Jews understood as surrounding the earth before the flood. And there is no longer any Mabul. And if you read in Genesis chapter 9, it says there is no more Mabul that is going to cover the surface of the earth. So it seems like the flood was caused by the triggering of this collapse canopy. And the fountains of the deep also were part of that. But... The term is very, very specific, and it's not referring to just a general flood. It could be connected to the idea of a canopy. So again, the Hebrew language might very well suggest that there was a celestial sea or a mabul that was surrounding the earth before the flood. So those are some different views. Now, here you have Russell Humphreys, and man, he, he throws everybody through a loop here. And I think it's cool because he kind of confirms... What I've been saying all along, I think that there are more than one firmament. And I'm not the only person who said this, but Russell Humphreys and the people who hold to the canopy surrounding the earth, they argue back and forth as if they're arguing for two different views that contradict each other. But they don't actually contradict each other. So Humphreys will argue that the waters above is composed of ice crystals. And as you can see in these pictures up here, it surrounds the entire universe. Now, I mean, imagine taking the entire universe and, putting and putting it, it on a little picture right here. It's impossible to really get the scale. And it's stretching. But it is stretching, yes. And that might also require the idea that this is a semi-solid, you know, because it is stretching. The universe is still stretching. But he thinks that the waters above are composed of ice crystals. I don't know if he thinks that it's it's thinning out or how... That's working. Stretches. Yeah, I don't know exactly how you'd say that, but I haven't read his book all the way through. But he thinks that the layer, it would be thin, yet it's still big enough to enclose the entire universe in a spherical shell. So he thinks that um, this explains a lot when it talks about the expansion of the universe and um, starlight and um, how fast starlight reaches the Earth. So I'm not going to get into that. That's a completely different topic, but... He thinks that the entire universe is enclosed in a spherical shell of water. So outside of that would be the second heaven. Now I, no, 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 no. This would be the second heaven is everything inside the shell. So that so, would be the third heaven. So the third heaven would be beyond it. And then God is beyond that. That's what level. I'm saying. I don't know if he would say that, but he's saying that the second heaven, the outer space where all the galaxies are in, uh -huh. James Webb telescope taking all this in, beyond that. So far where we can't see, there is a water shell that surrounds the universe. So the universe is not 
eternally extending outward or infinitely extending outward. It is bounded by water. And I would argue, I don't know if he believes this, okay? So I'm not putting words in his mouth, but I believe that the waters that he's referring to surrounding the second heaven would be one and the same as the crystal sea. I think so it would be the crystal sea. That's a massive amount of surface area. Yeah. To occupy. Yeah. And it's really far away. Yeah. Now, of course, it is finite because the universe is finite, but it's yeah, a but, lot. Yeah. yeah. It's more It's more than we can conceive. It's, you know, really far away. Just, yeah, it's really far away. <laughs> I mean, it's what? 12 billion light years away, according to your thing there, because if it's 24 billion light years across and yeah, in the that's, middle. Yeah, that's, that's right? his. Yeah. So. Now. Kind of looks I got, like I got, a cell. Yeah. So, what I want you to do. Okay. Because we yeah, still I don't agree with this. And I think we've talked about it before, but I'm like, yeah. But you Anyways. know, that's fine. Uh, okay, so we'll, we're wrong. we're gonna we're, I could be wrong about this, but um I think I do think that as the earth is spherical, I think that the heavens are spherical too, and I think the Hebrew does prove that, but I'm not gonna go into that right now. Okay, and if we don't get to it tonight, we don't get to it tonight. But somebody look up Psalm one forty eight four. Psalm 148.4. Because this is, Russell Humphrey says, this rules out the idea of a pre-flood canopy that collapsed. He think it rules it out. And I don't think it does, but go ahead and read it, somebody, once you get there. I'm going to the next one. 148. So he argues the waters are still above the heavens. So he said, David, who wrote that psalm, I'm assuming David wrote that one, praise God who is above the waters. Praise God who is above the waters, or rather the waters praise him, as all aspects of creation give God glory. So Russell Humphreys is saying that God can't be talking about a canopy that collapsed before the flood because it doesn't exist. Okay, It would have collapsed, so why is it being referred to here? However. Many people have pointed out, it says that they're established forever. If, if you look at the Every text. Earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. Yeah, so it, I'm going to get real. Oh, gosh. Let me find it in my Bible real quick. So I know what I'm looking at here. So Psalm 1, 48, 4. Uh, it says in verse number 6. He hath also established them forever and ever. He hath made a decree which shall not pass. Okay, so God has established what forever and ever? The heavens, the waters, okay? But will the heavens, will the present heavens pass away? Yes. Yes. That's what it says in Matthew 24 and 2 Peter 3. So what some advocates of the pre-flood canopy have said is this. Well, we know the heavens are going to pass away, but they'll be restored, right? Correct? We know God's going to make a new heaven and a new earth. In the same sense, the waters, they collapse before the flood, and God will restore them. So all that's being said here in the text is God established these features. He established the heavens. He established the waters. And they're established forever in the sense that they will continue to exist forever. It's not necessarily saying that there won't be a period of time in which they cease to exist because we know the heavens currently will cease to exist and be changed into but, a new one. But can that be everything that's inside of that canopy passing away and the canopy that's actually heaven staying intact? Well, see, no, I, I guess, I guess what I'm trying, what I'm trying to say here is um, I don't have a problem with Humphrey saying that these waters are the waters above the second heaven around the whole universe. I don't have a problem with that. Okay. I think that he'd be wrong to say that disproves a pre-flood canopy because it doesn't. Right. All he's establishing in this verse, if his view is correct. So there's something still there. Is there something still there around the universe? And I have no problem with that. Um, however, it could possibly refer to the pre-flood vapor canopy or liquid canopy or ice canopy. And the point of the text is simply God made these things in the beginning and one way or the other, they will never cease. They will be established forever. And that could be 
like Jesus said, heaven and earth are going to pass away, but how many other places in the Bible does it say they'll not pass away? So is that a contradiction? No. It means that God's going to restore it, and when he restores it, it's not going to pass away. So there is a gap there. There's a period in which, you know, it ceases, but that compared to eternity is nothing, and God establishes them forever so they accomplish his purpose for all eternity. So um, other people have argued this is a timeless psalm. Mm. So it could be hearkening back to creation as it was when God first made it, so when it's fresh out of the hands of God. Some people say this could be a millennial psalm, so it's referring to the restoration of the canopy after the tribulation. The whole point is, I don't think Humphreys makes a good argument that this disproves the pre-flood canopy. I think that that is overstating his case. I think that all this proves is that above the heavens, whether it be the first heaven or the second heaven, there is water placed there by God. So I'm not sure whether or not this is the pre-flood canopy or the one that's around the second heaven. Yes, Christy. So going to the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven, which you believe is a prism, a triangular prism, correct? No, I think that it's a mountain. A mountain so pyramidal. A triangular pyramid. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry. That's yeah, you're right. Prism, a triangular prism. Yeah. Would the top touch the canopy? Ooh, I, the don't, I don't know. I don't, the top above the I don't, I don't know, Jesus but that dwells. is very... Very interesting because we know how tall it is, right? Mm -hmm. It's thousands, not thousands, sorry. It's less than 2,000, but it is over a 1,000 miles high. Yeah. Now, that would clear our atmosphere, I'm sure. I don't know how high it is. You could look it up, fact check me, you know. Miles? No, we fly at 30,000 miles. No, we 30,000 feet. Feet. Sorry. I don't no, know how many. 5,280 I don't know where that miles. would put you in relation to. Far. Far. <laughs> Scott, thank you. Always known for his precision. 30,000 30, miles is like six miles. Or 30,000 feet is like six miles. Okay. So this is over 1,000 miles. So could it be that the canopy will be up that high again in God's eternal state when he renews everything? It's possible. Yeah. I don't know what it's going to look like then because everything's going to change. Could it go to that canopy? An outer canopy? Uh, I doubt it because we know how big the universe is and I think it's going to stay big. I think that the universe is going to stay big. I think that um, we're going to be exploring the galaxies for all eternity. Um, what will happen to the third heaven is what I've always wondered. Mm. And I don't know because God's dwelling place will be on earth. Is it going to be like a vacant, empty room? Like maybe maybe we'll go take tours of the third heaven. Like we used to be up here, you know? Well, like the Holy of Holies, <laughs> right? Like you couldn't see God in the Holy of Holies, but he was there so i don't know he com he comes down so i don't know I, I haven't wrapped my mind around that yet okay and i and i'm not going to pretend to say that i have i don't know exactly how things are going to be in the eternal state now in the millennium on the other hand the third heaven i think is going to still be there because the father hasn't come down yet right. he's still up there the sun's raining on his behalf down below but the heaven is still the third heaven god the father is still there but when he comes down everything changes so whatever it looks like then we can't go beyond what's said in Revelation 21 and 22. And it's going to be cool. Whatever it is, it's going to be awesome. What's interesting here is like I looked up um, 30 miles and you're already going past the stratosphere. 50 miles, you're going into the right. metosphere. 60 miles, you're in the thermosphere, which is you're, in, you're like far into space. Mm. Yeah. That's only 60 miles. Wow. That's yeah. Right. That's insane. How come it yeah. takes them so long to get to space again? Maybe I know nothing about space. <laughs> <laughs> it took like 12 hours. No, it, did we no, watch? It, uh, it, it we, has to do with the speed and getting up that momentum to get them up. Uh, we watch, No, didn't we watch? It was it two years ago? Time. Elon Musk, uh, SpaceX sent up. Um, no, they do it every I mean, couple we just days. I know, so but long. I watched it. I watched one. It, it was a couple years back. That's why I'm referring to it. Come down and it took, what, 10 minutes? Yeah. Oh, it was 15, maybe. We'll From space? Yeah, yeah, we down. watched it go up, launch, and then the the booster came back down. Crazy. Way like five hundred yard, five hundred miles away, but you could uh, see it. Yeah, it was that far. It was yeah. far. Huh? Yeah, yeah. yeah it goes up like this. Our satellites rest in the thermosphere. Right. That's like, wow. So sixty miles above. The New Jerusalem is five times. The New Jerusalem is going to stretch way past that, and I and again I envision it as it's a mountain, and I think that around that mountain and up that mountain are going to be dwellings. And I, and I do believe there is, there is a correlation between 
overcomers and the rewards that they achieve because of their faithfulness in this life and where they are located in that. I do believe that there's a connection. Guess how many miles it is to the moon. How many miles? 240,000. 240,000. So that would be right around the moon. No, it's only a A little bit further. Oh, it's growing 1,000, so it's three times that? Your numbers are wrong. My numbers are wrong. I'm I'm not not mathing well today. Sorry. I'm not either. It's okay. All right, now, so conclusion, and we'll stop here because... Um, I want to talk more about the verses about the circle of the earth because there are, I think there really is some evidence in the Hebrew for a spherical earth. I know there are some creationists that are like, look, we know the earth is a sphere outside the Bible. The Bible doesn't have to tell us that. And it is, it's established. I mean, it's fact proved. but I think that it is cool to see how the Bible suggests it by the word choices. And so we'll look at that next week and we'll also look at the rotation of the earth. And I'm going to, going to go ahead and tease it. Okay. So for those of y'all who are looking at the slides right now, you see that right there? Ooh, we can't you see, see that anymore. cylinder right there? Uh-huh. Yes. We're going to talk about it. And we're going to talk about Job 38, 12 through 14. And I've already shared some of this with Katie. And she's like rolling her eyes right now. She had a hard time. So I'm going to try to explain it to her again. She's so going she to be, be my test side? case. She's my ke- my test case. But see, if I get her to understand it, then I'll feel I feel good about myself. But anyways, the conclusion is the firmament is possibly no more. <laughs> you're not dumb. You're intelligent. You know, that's what I'm saying. If I get you to understand it, I'll feel accomplished because you're intelligent. If I got a dumb person to understand it, then I wouldn't be accomplished. Buddy, stop talking. Do you want to know how far we are from Mars? Because I'm comparing these distances. How far are we from Mars? It's not a thousand miles. It's ninety-two point three four two million miles. That's right. a really it, the the New Jerusalem will not be that no. that tall. <laughs> All right, so I think the firmament could be no more than just an empty expanse of space that God stretched out. Okay, but I also think there's good evidence that there are boundaries, and those boundaries were firmly put in place. The only one that has collapsed, and it is a sad reflection of the sin and the curse that's been placed on creation is the collapse of that canopy. I think that it was a beautiful picture of God and his kingdom and his dominion. And I think that we messed up. And I think the canopy collapsing is like this is to me, it's comparable to Adam and Eve are kicked out of the garden and a fiery sword is placed right there. They lost it. And I think that the canopy was paradisal. I think that it changed everything. I think that it was beautiful and our creation's beautiful now, but it was nothing compared to it was back then. And I think that the only place in all the universe that is untainted by sin is the third heaven. And I think that's why in Revelation it talks about the fire on the crystal sea because I think below it's conflict and war and and brokenness. And I think that God's going to restore it all and potentially restore the firmaments in all their original splendor, maybe even better. Again, we don't know what the eternal state will look like. Um so the waters could be ordinary clouds, possibly. I could be wrong about all this. We could be blowing it out of proportion. There are a lot of commentators that are like, the waters above are just clouds. But I doubt it because Genesis 2.5 and uh, the Noahic Covenant, which talks about the rainbow, both suggest there was no rain before the flood. I really think that there's a good case for that. I, I can't get away from it. I know that certain creation ministries say, well, the Hebrew says, doesn't really say that. Don't say that. But I've read it and I've read it again and I'm like, y'all aren't convincing me. I'm reading this and it seems like it's saying there was no rain before the flood. And even when it talks about the mist, they'll say, oh, that mist just watered it for a little bit, just for a little bit. And then it rained very soon. Some people say it rained like, you know, during the creation week, like the very next day. You read some of these commentators and when it says the mist came up and watered the ground, it's just describing like that one day or a couple days uh, before the rain happened. And I'm like, no, the Hebrew is even used in, in, I think it's used in the, uh, the imperfect tense. And it implies that a mist used to go up. In fact, many have actually translated it that way. There was a mist that used to go up and water the face of the ground before the Lord caused it to rain on the earth. Well, when did the Lord cause it to rain on the earth during the flood? So before the flood, how were things water? A mist used to go up. So it seems like Moses is describing a state of things that has long since passed away because he's writing from a post-flood perspective. So, 
And also, I think that the if the barometric pressure was higher back then, and a lot of creationists believe that, if the barometric pressure was potentially greater, that would prevent cloud formation because clouds form with lower barometric pressure. So if you get to a place where the pressure is so great that you prevent cloud formation, well, then there wouldn't be rain clouds. There wouldn't be rain before the flood. And so again, this could be something explained by the canopy. Um, so in any event, Rakia does not in any way require a solid dome like the skeptics have said or like the flat earthers say. And it doesn't require hard sphere cosmology where you have a geocentric earth and you have these spheres that the planets are literally embedded in rotating around us. The Bible doesn't teach that either. Um, but in the end, this is what I get from it, guys. As I've done this study. It's been fun. I've really enjoyed it. And we'll wrap it up next week with a few appendices. I throw out a fancy word there. But God's word contains many <laughs> appendices because that's the word, like an appendix and appendices. I thought it was appendices. It's, it's, I've heard appendices. That's what I'm going with, Christy. <laughs> you like your appendix? Appendicitis. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but God's word. of the appendices. <laughs> God's word contains many mysteries, but sound exegesis, sound Bible interpretation, and sound science that's never. A that's no a big word too. No exegesis, only exegesis. Only exegesis. We all need some extra Jesus in our life. So sound <laughs> exegesis. And sound science never contradict each other. That's what I've gotten from all of this. That as I study God's word, there are mysteries. I don't understand everything. I don't know exactly how it was ordered before. But I don't think that it was as it is today. And I think that um, the more I study God's word, the more I'm amazed by God and his design and his beauty. The more I can look upon him as awesome and worthy of worship. And the more I can say, look, I'm sticking with this book. And you skeptics. You can grind your axe against it all you want, but it's going to break on the, the strength of God's word They'll every find time. find out one day. They're going to find out one day, and I hope they find out sooner rather than later. But God bless. Thank you for listening to us, and we hope that you'll join us next time.